The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So not too long ago, I uh, went, wanted to go for a hike, a little bit longer hike than I usually do in a place where I don't usually hike. So I looked at the map and figured, okay, I'm going to do this loop and uh, found the trailhead and just looking at the map. This is not my strong point, I should say, maps. And if I figured out like, oh, okay, I'm here. I'm going to you know, do this hike and just do this big loop and come back around. So I did. I hiked. I was out there and I was tired by the end. I was like, okay, you know, I'm going to get back. This is great. It's so wonderful to be spent all this time out in nature. And then I, I'm looking at the map and I come around to where I'm, that started. And it's not where I started. <laughs> I'm like, oh my goodness. I don't know where I am. <laughs> You know, I had been looking at the map all the time, convincing myself, like, oh, yeah, this thing here, that must be this, and that thing there must be that. And, and you know, so I was convinced, I thought it was, but then I realized, actually, it wasn't, it wasn't at all. And I was a couple miles away, I discovered. There was a nice ranger who helped me <laughs> find my car again. So, I mean, it has a happy ending, obviously. But how often do we do that? Do we kind of like read signs or read maps, obviously, or and think that, oh yeah, it means this. Kind of like interpret the data in such a way to match what is uh, this idea, this representation that we have. And it's not until later that we discover, oh, I, I had it all wrong. I thought I thought it was I thought it was okay. How many times do we have an idea about something that turns out not to be right? Or maybe not entirely right? Or How often do we have concepts, labels, ideas, notions that turn out not to be accurate, not to be entirely true, not to reflect reality so, so as well as we thought it did? So in the same way, again, in the Buddhist teachings, there's this idea. Again, I've seen um, Gil do this a number of times. It actually had a big impact on me when I saw this. The first time I saw it, I wasn't so sure, but I can look at this, this leaf. It's pretty simple, pretty straightforward. I don't know, maybe it's three inches green, has some veins on it. It's it's a leaf. And then we can do something else. We can hold up a second leaf. Now, all of a sudden, we can say something about this first leaf that we couldn't say before. Oh, this is the smaller leaf. This is this leaf is small. This leaf is big. This second leaf is, I don't know, six inches, maybe. First three inches, big leaf, small leaf. 
Okay, so that's pretty obvious. What's the big deal? Well, what happens if we do something like this? We have a third leaf. Now, all of a sudden, the small leaf is not the small leaf. This is the small leaf. This one is now the medium leaf. So we had this label that we assigned to this particular leaf. We said this one is small. But that was just like temporary. It was just helpful in that one particular time. It's not inherently small. It's just a leaf. In the same way, in the same way, we add things extra. We add these extra labels, these extra names, these extra adjectives that can be helpful in a particular setting. If you need to distinguish between leaves, you can say the smaller one, not the larger one. But it's not inherent to the leaf. It's not what the leaf is. It's not... It's not, uh, um, it's just something extra that we're adding to it. So sometimes this adding of labels, this adding of concepts on top of our experiences, including experience of uh, experiencing a leaf by either seeing it or feeling it, is a source of a lot of suffering. Sometimes these labels, these concepts aren't accurate, aren't true. Or maybe they are accurate and are true in one particular setting, but not in all settings. And we, when we learn about it and use it in one setting and take it to many others. So there's... Uh, um, in, the, in the Buddha's time if they wanted to do scientific examinations of the nature of things. Of course, they didn't have microscopes or telescopes or any of these uh, tools that we have today. But many of them did have a tool. They had a concentrated mind. They used this as a tool. What is it? What is, what is it uh, like to use to be a human, to have human experiences? And with a concentrated mind, they could see that, oh, I am continuously classifying and sorting my experiences, such that confronted by various sense stimuli, there can be recognition of something. We can put a label on it. We can add a concept to it. We can say, oh, not only is this a leaf, but in this case, it's the big leaf. Or, you know, in this case, it's the small leaf. So this activity of classifying and sorting and labeling and putting concepts on, from the Buddhist time, they called this perception, sanya, in in Pali, sanya. And with the concentrated mind, they... um, I'm saying they, I don't know if it was a group of people, if it was the Buddha, it's, this is preserved in the Buddha scriptures. They also recognized, I seem to have a body that has five senses, and there's a physical world out there. So this idea that there's form, 
There's like things that are tangible. I talked a little bit about this last week with sense contact. Our senses often are contacting things that have form or are physical, not exclusively, but a lot of what sense contact is with form. That's called rupa, form. Another experience is having is that my experiences continuously produce in me experiences that are pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant nor unpleasant. For those of you who were here on the first night of this, you'll recognize that is Vedana. That is the Vedana is the experience of things being pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant nor unpleasant. That's the third like process or experience that human beings have. The fourth one that they can discover with a concentrated mind is my experiences seem to provoke various desires, wishes, tendencies, habits, memories, thoughts, fantasies, ideas, notions, thinking. I talked a little bit last week about uh, this, like the thought trains leaving. There's a lot of this, what we call uh, sankara in Pali. It's called mental formations. It's not really a satisfying translation of that. But sankaras, we can think of them as all the busyness that's happening in our minds in general. So not the um, Vedana, not the uh, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, and not the sanya perception, not the using concepts or recognition, but all the story making and thinking and habits and the ways that our minds work. That's the fourth kind of experience of having a human being. And then the fifth one seems to be that there's an awareness of all of these things. There's a knowing of everything that I'm describing. Vijnana, consciousness. So there's these five experiences. Probably all of our, I wouldn't say probably in the Buddhist teaching, all of our experience every single one can be attributed to one of these five forms so something physical or these four mental ones um, feeling tone vedana pleasant unpleasant neutral perception sanya attaching a label recognizing sankara mental formations, which is the vast majority of our mental experiences. And then there's the consciousness that knows it. So these five experiences, these five processes, I'll call in English called the five aggregates. Pali Panchakanda. 
aggregates is kind of a funny word. It's not usually in my vocabulary. You know, what's an aggregate? It's a group, it's a heap, it's a lump, sum, it's a it's a heap. Sometimes we see it, or a collection, or something like this. Why are they called uh, heaps, or or uh, collections, or aggregates? Because it's this recognition, I'll just take a Sankara, we have this Sankara that's happening just this moment, but then there was that one that just preceded that, and then now there's this one that's noticing that there was, no, wait, that then there's another one that's influenced by the one that there was, and then I had this thought and this memory and this idea. There are so many Sankaras. There are so many. There are so many Vedanas. Every moment of experience is pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. There are so many things that have physical form in our experience. Consciousness that is moment after moment after moment, right? I can't snap fast enough to, to do that. So these five aggregates are just recognizing there's five maybe types of experience and then there's countless individual ones within those types. There is no need for you to remember this list of five and what they all are. If you want to like really get into this, you can. But it might be helpful to know that um, that there's one that's uh, rupa form, which is about the physical world, and there's four that are about the mental world. All the mental stuff that happens are into your things. For what we're going to talk about, that's good enough to kind of simplify it: uh, physical and mental. So these aren't entities. These aren't things, right? These are experiences. These are processes. And they are also a perspective. This perspective of having all five is something that we can use to describe human experience. It's a frame of reference we can use to describe human experience. Mostly seen through a concentrated mind. Just like last week I talked about six sense spaces, that's the all. That's also a frame of reference, a perspective. We could map those on top of these five aggregates if we wanted to. So in the, the Buddha, he doesn't use the aggregates to describe the scientific understanding of the human being. He's not interested in the precise physiology or psychology of a human being. As you know, the Buddhist teachings are interested in suffering and the end of suffering. It's interested in liberation, freedom, peace. How can we find our way towards greater peace, towards complete peace, towards liberation? So all of us probably have this experience, and I've talked about it in earlier um, weeks here. And the second noble truth is about clinging. Often, like clinging is a source of suffering. Getting contracted, holding on tightly, getting attached, getting tangled up with is a source of suffering. The Buddha's teaching is saying if clinging is occurring, you're clinging to one of these five aggregates. That's what's actually being clung to. 
for our purposes, we can say it's we're clinging to some mental idea, some mental event, some mental experience. Maybe it was a pleasant experience. Maybe it's a memory we had. Not only is clinging associated with the aggregates, but clinging that's associated with having a sense of a me, me here, is also associated with these aggregates, clinging to one of them, clinging to a few of them, clinging to all of them. So selfing, this felt sense of me here, it's a part of holding on to one of these five aggregates. And maybe many of you have this experience with meditation practice. We notice as we simplify, as we get quiet, as we get settled, we might notice that there's a part of our experience that feels a little like congealed, a little stuck, a little or contracted, maybe like jello or maybe like a boulder in the way of kind of like the flow of experience. This feeling of tightness or of something not stuck, something stuck. And with meditation practice, we can explore, we can investigate. It's like, what is this? What is this stuckness here? What is this stickiness? What is this congealed business? And we might discover, we might discover, there's a sense of me, the meditator. Me, the practitioner. Or whatever the me happens to be at that moment. Me, the one that's annoyed at the person who's sitting next to me making too much noise, as sometimes happens on uh, meditation retreats. Or me who just loves that person's sweater over there. Or whatever it might be. So many ways, right, we define ourselves. I'm this way, I'm that way. But if we bring our attention to this experience, we might see that it's not as stuck. It's not as constant. It's not as stable. It's not as sure or solid as we might imagine or that we think that it is. So we can look and we can study and we can see how does this congealing, this stuckness happen? What does it feel like? When does it occur? When is there less of it? When is there more of it? And just by studying and um, engaging and investigating this, maybe it helps us to not take it so seriously or maybe it helps us to hold it a little more lightly like, oh yeah, here's that stuck feeling again. Hmm. I wonder what that's about this time. It's okay. All of us do this. All of us have this stuck feeling so often. This idea of a me, the meditator. It's perfectly human. You can just investigate. Look at it. What, what is this? 
And just notice if there's some softening, some letting go that can happen. So in whatever way we define ourselves, in whatever way we're clinging, in whatever way there's this stuckness, it is only form, the five aggregates form, feeling, perception, mental formations, and consciousness. It's one of those five things. Turns out we don't have to know, I've said this a few times, we don't have to know exactly which one. You can, you can investigate and you can learn about it. I'm not going to spend that much more time about all the individual ones tonight. Instead I'm going to talk a little bit more about this clinging. So clinging in general takes two forms. It's um, clinging that's a sense of appropriation. This is mine. This is um, my experience. This is mine. It belongs to me. And maybe emphasis on that, it belongs to me. And then the Buddhist teaching saying, well, if it's really yours, if it really belongs to you, then you should be able to control it. If it's really yours. So can you control it? Can you make it go away or appear or disappear? Or if it's a little bit unpleasant, can you make it pleasant? Can you make it unpleasant if it is pleasant? Can you make it do everything, anything? And if we ask this question, well, if it's really mine... Can I control it? So if we do a little bit of analytical thinking, not a whole lot, just a little bit here, we might discover, oh, okay, I can't, it's not under my control as much as I thought. Maybe there's a little bit, but not as much as we thought. So that's one way in which clinging takes is this appropriation. This is mine. Another way in which clinging happens is We identify. This is me. But if we have this sense of this is me, we may have a sense of there's a stable, consistent me. It's like a humunculus inside of us, right? This little thing inside of us that's me. But if we, we'll just do a little bit of um, analysis here. If we want to take it on the Buddha's word that everything we're going to cling to are these uh, five aggregates, and we can even simplify it and say physical objects, physical events, and mental events. But these are changing all the time. Right? You, you know this, right? You're hearing a different sound. You are having different thoughts. You're having different physical sensations, right? It's there. Everything's changing. It's not constant. So, if you want to say this is me, well, that what you're clinging to is—is is it still there? Which, if you want to say, well, it's my interior, my mental events that are, it must be me. It's inside of me. But which one? 
because chances are that thought has already come up, has arisen and passed away. That emotional uh, feeling tone of um, pleasant or unpleasant have already arisen and passed away. None of the aggregates, none of these are stable. None of them are solid. And so we're often, when we're clinging, say, okay, this is me, that means that the me is not stable and solid. Or maybe we're going, me, 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 maybe we're just grabbing on and on and on. So these, I'm pointing to something that's, um, this, this class was talked about, insights. Often this is an insight that we have, but I'm using words, I'm talking about it. Sometimes talking about it doesn't make sense. You're like, oh, this, this, I, I'm not quite sure what, what she's talking about. And, <laughs> and it's perfectly fine. It's perfectly fine. <laughs> it's one of those things that maybe like a seed gets planted. And then maybe somehow this seed takes root in a way that makes sense to you and is helpful and is supportive. So the teaching is saying that we don't have control over our experiences, therefore they're not mine. The teachings are saying there is not an enduring permanent self, therefore things aren't me. However, it's not saying that there is not a conventional sense of me, because there is, of course, right? I mean, I'm sitting here and you're sitting there, right? my arm is itching and somebody else isn't going to scratch their arm, right? So this is not anything that's saying, um, asking you to believe some magical uh, thing that's outside of your experience. It's just saying that if you look at your experience, you might find that you can't control things and they're not as stable and solid. So maybe one more thing I'll say about this. So these teachings are not a negation. It's not saying that there isn't, that you don't have a sense of self. There's not taking anything away. Instead, it's just pointing to, there's often this constriction, this tightness associated with clinging. This clinging is associated with a self. This idea of a self, this is mine, this is me. The teachings are saying we can loosen up this constriction. We can open up and experience more ease, more space, more freedom, liberation. That's what this teaching is about. It's about pointing us towards more and more freedom. So in the suttas, the Buddha says, you may well cling to that teaching of self that would not arouse sorrow, would not arouse lamentation, would not arouse pain, would not arouse grief and would not arouse despair. But 
Do you see any such teaching of self? No, venerable sir. Yes, I too do not see this. So the Buddha is just teaching, is saying that the more that we cling to, the more there's sorrow and grief, lamentation, and despair. And in another sutta, the Buddha says, Monks, whatever is not yours, abandon it. And when you have abandoned it, that will lead to your welfare and happiness for a long time. And what is not yours, form is not yours. Abandon it. When you have abandoned it, that will lead to your welfare and happiness for a long time. And what is not yours, feeling. The third, the fifth one. And what is not yours, mental formations. And what is not yours, consciousness. Abandon it. And when you have abandoned it, that will lead to your welfare and happiness for a long time. So these teachings are just pointing to, they're not saying that we don't have a sense of continuity. Of course, we have memories. We have plans. We have, of course, we're existing in the world. It's pointing to something very, very subtle. Pointing towards where there can be more freedom more ease, more peace, by just investigating where are those places that we're feeling stuck, that feel solid, that feel congealed in some way. Just investigate them, look at them, make friends with them. Maybe they're your companion for the rest of your life. But just to notice Sometimes things feel really constricted and sometimes they're a little bit more open. A bit more constricted, maybe a little bit more open. And just notice the sense of feeling, freedom, ease that goes. What what that goes with this movement of more open and more constricted. So this teaching is it can be a little bit, I don't know, uncomfortable, discombobulating, weird. I remember for the first time I heard it thinking like, okay, yeah, whatever. I, I'm, I'm, uh, I like the meditation part. <laughs> we do that. I'm not so sure about this uh, not-self business. That's okay. You can do that too. Um, this is not something that we have to, um, I don't know, force ourselves I said, I just would like to plant some seeds. So with that as an introduction, I'd like to lead us through a, a guided meditation. And with this guided meditation, it's a little bit different than um, kind of our usual mindfulness practice that we do. I'll start us off with some mindfulness to kind of help us get settled and get connected. Just so that we have the experience, hopefully, no guarantees, right? The experience of what is it like to have things um, have a little bit greater sense of openness and spaciousness and where does there a little more constriction? We'll just every now and then drop in this idea and you can just play along. If it feels uncomfortable, you don't have to play along. Just drop in this idea, not 
mine, not me. And you can apply that to whatever that experience was you were having and just see how it feels. Just see how it feels. Maybe I'll do not me, not mine. For me, that just feels a little bit better. Okay. So, we'll take an alert, upright posture. Hmm. We'll take three long, slow, deep breaths. This is a way to get connected. Help get settled. Maybe there can be a little sense of ah. To help have a sense of well-being help support a sense of ease and maybe some comfort. We'll do a little body scan. Sometimes it's the case that when we bring our awareness to different sensations that they can open up, relax, let go, ease. No guarantees, but sometimes it's the case. Bring awareness to the head, the back of the head, the top of the head, around the eyes, around the mouth, the neck and the shoulders the right arm the right hand most likely it's touching something you can just bring your awareness there the left arm, the left hand, you can feel what's to be felt there, the left hand. Bring our awareness to the back. back, the lower back, the chest. See if there can be just a little bit more openness. Not in a way that's uncomfortable, but in a way that it's relaxed, spacious. 
in a way that makes sense for you. The belly. Just allowing the belly to relax. And then feel the pressure of the chair or the cushion against your body. Feeling supported. You're here, grounded. The right upper leg. The right lower leg. The right foot. We can bring your awareness to the left upper leg. The left lower leg. The left foot. Notice any sense of well-being, contentment, ease, warmth, spaciousness. This may not be your dominant experience. It may not be your only experience. But is there a part of your experience that's a little bit of relaxed, a little bit of contentment. If so, allow that experience to support you, to nourish you, Can you hang out there? Again, in a relaxed, open way. It's okay if this isn't your experience and it's not accessible. That's okay too. We'll do some mindfulness of the sensations of breathing. movement of the abdomen, the movement of the chest, the feeling of air going in and out of the nose. Just hang out here for a bit. Just resting our awareness on the sensations of breathing in a very simple, relaxed way. 
Again, you might check in and see if there's any sense of ease, happiness, contentment, well-being, relaxation. And just allowing it to get as big as it would like. Without forcing it, without making it happen. like, maybe you could open up the meditation to include sounds. The sound of my voice, the sound outside of the hall, the sound inside the hall. Often when we bring our attention to sounds, there's a sense of opening up and allowing the sounds to find us. We can go back to the noticing sensations in the hands. Maybe there's a little bit more of a focusing. So in the same way of going like from sounds to sensations in the hands, in the same kind of way, this expansion, contraction, zooming out, zooming in, just noticing that our experience occurs along a spectrum of attention. Can you notice maybe a little bit of constriction, a little bit of expansion? Expansion is often associated with ease, space, 
It might be really subtle. Constriction is a little bit less ease, a little bit less space. Sometimes we feel more stuck. Sometimes we feel like experiences are flowing. all of this feels too complicated and too much, you can always do mindfulness of the sensations of breathing. Always come back to that as an anchor. We can quietly drop in and just see how this feels. Just see how it feels. Not me, not mine. So whatever event, whether it's a mental event or a physical event, that you are just experiencing... What happens if you play around with this idea? Not me, not mine. Not me, not mine. There might be a shift. There might not be too. That's perfectly fine. Just explore what happens if you drop in, not me, not mine, and apply that to the preceding experience in the spirit of just exploration.
And then to end this meditation, feel your feet on the ground. Feel the pressure of the chair or the cushion against your body. And when you're ready, you can gently open your eyes. So I started that meditation with um, just help to get settled, an encouragement to see if there is a sense of well-being or or um, contentment or ease. I was doing that. I realized that I've been meditating quite a bit today, so I may not be on the same wavelength for those of you who had to drive here and get here on time and park. And <laughs> if so, I apologize for that. But this encouragement to, if there was a sense of any warmth, spaciousness, contentment, to allow yourself to experience that. And then to notice how sometimes both our attention is wide, especially with sound, and sometimes our attention can be a little bit more focused if we're looking for, for example, sensations in the hands. In the same way, there can be just a general feeling of expansiveness or contraction. Without, maybe you don't have a clear explanation of it. Maybe it's just a general sense. And then I dropped in these words, not me, not mine. With the hope that maybe you could explore and see. Maybe nothing happened, maybe something happened. Now I'd like to hear from you. What was that like? What was that experience like? Um, I found myself drifting off on some plot line of some show or book or something and then the not me not mine came up and it was like it's much easier to just drop it it just um had this sense like well that's just in my mind because i saw something or read something and i'm replaying it but there's no like i don't know it just helped me just sort of let that go Mm, great and what was that letting go or dropping it experience like what what did it feel like um, the ex- it felt a little bit more like a like a energizing waking up because when my mind was in the sort of the store or whatever I don't even know what it was it just felt kind of like kind of this heavy dullness and then when it was dropped there was just sort of like oh so that was the feeling mm, nice nice great thank you thank you anybody else have a comment. I 
felt while we were doing the meditation, I got really tense about something that I'm worried about. And when you did drop in the not me, not mine, I did feel like a like a letting go of that. And it didn't completely let go, but just like a little bit of just recognizing like this isn't about me, it's not mine, it's just a thing that comes up. Nice, nice. Yeah, right? Doesn't mean that we can let go of things, but we're just like moving towards clinging less tightly perhaps. I actually believe we can't let go too. I believe it's an intention. Like we can create conditions and have an intention, but things fully let go when they're not me. I think the th- letting go is not me, not mine either. I think my experience of it is when it lets go, I'm like, like three days later, I'm like, I had to let go of that thing. And, it, and, and then, yeah, it just happens. At least that's my experience. Yeah, you're pointing to something very important. Like, I can't let go because there's the I. So it's, yeah, but we don't have to get all tangled up with that. So I'm able to say this, letting go happens. It's kind of like that, right? Anybody else have something they'd like to share? So I actually did try to trick trick myself because I was like not me but who is me <laughs> it's like mm. now the voice is me saying not me I was like but who is that and so what the way I went around it was um, by imagining it's a memory um, which actually relates to the previous week of just um detaching, like not having a story with what I was perceiving. So I was trying to do that with everything that was coming up. And and if it's a memory, you can't change anything about it. It's almost like it's literally like a playback. And it looks like you because it's a recording. You can see yourself having done it. You know, so it's almost like a second or two late. And so what I'm observing is similar to me in that it sounds like me, it looks like me, it thinks like me, but it's just a little, like there's a lag. And so when I was saying, not me, not mine, in the, with a, as a memory, it was, it was so much space between this the memory and the perception of it so it's no longer this uh, this even the tension to make it not me because it's already not me it's a memory just kind of like almost like the present moment is one second too late Mm-hmm. And it was so much more spacious, actually. It's interesting that you said the word spacious, because if it's all a memory, all there is is the space where the memory is going. Mm-hmm. So. Interesting. Thank you. Hmm. Anybody else have a 
comment they'd like to say? Thanks. I have a question. So, can I have a question about this week's practice? Is that okay? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, when I was practicing this week with, you know, the senses, and and as you're describing, you're talking about the aggregates. Where do feelings come in? Not not like feelings of good, bad, but like because I would experience like I'd be really tuned into my senses. But then I'd have this overall feeling, you know, there's, you know, all different types of feelings. And it, I didn't know, you know, I mean, I could just experience it, but I was really curious about how it fit into the, what you're describing. So when you're saying feelings, do you mean like sad, mad, yeah. glad, emotions? Yeah, emotions. That's a better word. Emotions. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, this is a legitimate question. So um, in the Buddhist time, they didn't pull out feelings as a distinct uh, experience, um, unlike how how we do now. And I think, uh, and the way that I understand it, and definitely the way that I experience it, is that actually emotions have two components to them. There's a physical one, which may be obvious or may be really subtle, and there's a mental one. The physical one, when we're sad, right? maybe we feel around our eyes, maybe there's a lump in the throat, a tightness in the belly, something like this. We don't always have access to this, but all the neuroscientists and psychologists study this stuff and say that there are physical sensations that are happening. And there's stories that are happening too. There's... uh, um, so whatever it is that's making us sad and we're, oh, things I'm, I can't believe this happened. It's always, it always happens to me. I don't know what it is. I'm just making it up. So emotions have two components. So they would be, in, with regard to the five aggregates, they would be in form, like the body, physical, and they would be in sankharas. They would be mental, uh, volitional formations or mental formations or something like that. Yeah, so that's why I was saying, okay, the five aggregates, we don't have to memorize all five of them, in the sense that this, from the Buddha's time, is a little bit different than how we would classify things today. But it was a perspective, it was a frame of reference that was helpful then, and it can be helpful for a really concentrated mind. But we're not so concentrated all the time when we're walking around living our lives, so... Maybe it's not as helpful. As you were describing that, because I, I, um, when it was happening, I think, okay, there has to be a physical component or else you couldn't be feeling it. So I would, you know, tune into the physical component. But as you're talking, what it really reminded me is the last class when you were talking about aversions and you, you really helped me understand or have the insight that when when things come that are aversions, and I'm probably not saying this right, but that it feels like it's something that's coming this way, that's something that's happening to me, and that that perspective of it's no, it's actually something that I'm putting out, you know, and I think that perspective could really help. Fantastic. See, see the aggregate part of it, you know. Yeah. So the. The invitation is to play around, explore with this. These are all perspectives, different ways we can look. These are not things that we have to 
take on. It's like, okay, this is some belief that I have to believe and try to make ourselves make sense out of it. Explore. And do exactly what you did. Like, you were looking like, wait, where's where's emotions in here? That's exactly how to work with this. And then, as I said, I'm like planting seeds. So maybe something makes sense. Maybe some other things don't quite make sense. That's fine. That's perfectly fine. So I want to maybe tie together maybe a little bit more explicitly what I was talking about not-self and the five aggregates. And earlier when I was talking about getting lost, (laughs) even though I had a map and there were even little uh, trail markers, um, and the leaves. So concepts are things that we add on top to of experiences add on top to simple things. They're useful. We need them. We need concepts. But sometimes we get a little bit confused or we forget that they're just concepts that are added on top of experiences. In the same way, the self is an idea, is a notion, is a concept that's getting laid on top of a tremendous number of experiences and we kind of we have this sense that the self is enduring and permanent and but if we really look at it we won't see that's the case so this idea that we can be mistaken with our concepts though so that we can be misled by them even though we might have a lot of confidence in them and they might be helpful I'd like to explore this a little bit more and invite you guys to get into small groups. Let's see how many of the two, four, So we'll have um, two groups of three and one group of four. And when you get into a group, um, I'll give you a question. We can talk about this, exploring the role of concepts and our relationships to concepts and how we've used them. So if you want to get into some small groups and then I'll give you a specific question. Yeah, yeah. So th- there can be, yeah, I think two threes and, two and one four. Is that right? So if I can do a math. So here's, here's the, the question. You have to let me know if this ends up being a little bit too complicated or a little bit too hard. So I told this story at the beginning about how I followed the map and I realized that, oh, I was actually lost, even though I was kind of convinced in myself, oh, yeah, I'm here, and uh, it wasn't really. Do you have a story in which you had a concept, an idea about something that then turned out to not be right? For example, another little story that I remember once when um, I was waiting for a friend and she was late and I was like, oh, I can't 
but she's late. It's disrespectful. Doesn't she know? I have all these things to do. And I'm sitting here and I'm waiting here. You know, I was working myself up into the lather. It was quite some time ago. And then I discovered, you know, she was late because she had something terrible had happened. And I just had this whole story that she was not respecting me or something like this. And of course, that wasn't what happened. It was something else. So do you have a story in which you thought you had this idea about something, but then it turns out to be something different? And hopefully you can find one in which the something different is a nice thing. <laughs> it's not always the case, right? But uh, is in which this, how things turn out to be is different than an idea you had about them. To make this distinction between actual experiences and our ideas about them. So how about one person will speak and then we can go to the next person. So these stories don't have to be really long, but just enough that you can explore for yourself. What did it feel like when you had this one notion about what was happening? And then how did it feel when you realized it was actually something else? And the person that's sitting closest to the Buddha here can goes first. There we go. It's helpful if I turn on the microphone. So for a second question, you don't have to say anything you don't want to say. Don't say anything you don't feel comfortable saying. But after kind of exploring this idea that um, but sometimes we have concepts, notions, ideas that turn out not to be accurate. What are some concepts, notions, ideas you have about yourself? Whether they're accurate or not, just what, what are some? ideas that you have. So we can explore that. And, and again, do it in a way in which you feel comfortable with this. I'm not asking you to share anything that you don't feel comfortable with. But just what are some ideas, some beliefs, notions, ideas, concepts you have about yourself? And then whoever was going to be the next person to speak can um, go next. And you can just maybe say one thing and then go to the next person and then say one thing. And we won't do this for too long. We'll do this just for a little bit. So you can thank your partners and come back to the bigger circle. So, how was that? Did you learn some things? Do you have some ideas? Or was it just fun to tell stories? Or maybe a combination? Or this, this idea of, we often have concepts that are helpful, and maybe they're only helpful for a short time, and maybe they're just not accurate. Does anybody have anything they'd like to share?
Maybe I'll just share that um, I don't have a particularly interesting insight. I, I realize that you know my, I sometimes have judgments about people that um, are incomplete, and uh, you know it's not necessarily helpful. But I guess what I really wanted to say is I just enjoy these chances to talk. Um, for me, that's that's a highlight of this of these meetings, um, and I realize that. Um, so much of our practice is in silence or listening, and for me that is that's been a really lovely part about these meetings so far. I just wanted to thank you for that. Yeah, great. Thank you for saying that, Peter. It's so great, right, to hear that other people have some of the same ideas that you have and to be supported in that way. Yeah, I think it's great. Thank you. I, I had the same experience at first. I was like, oh, I don't want to talk to anybody, but then I just left it. It's just comforting to get a reminder that, you know, we're all kind of in it together and we, you know, maybe didn't have the exact same things, but some version of something. And um, if I stay away from here too far where people aren't willing to come clean about it, then I'll start thinking again that it's it's only me. (laughs) Yeah. So thank you for everyone for sharing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's so easy to think, right? That's... Oh, I'm I'm the only one that has these thoughts or ideas or experiences or we don't talk about it. It's easier to, I think, go easier on other people too and you're reminded a little bit about the truth of the human experience. Yeah. We can have compassion for others. We can have compassion for ourselves. And we see really how the human experience is complicated sometimes, difficult sometimes, and beautiful sometimes. So maybe I'll end with this, with the seeing all our experiences simply as experiences can help us avoid sometimes like this constriction of getting stuck or I'm a person who does this, I'm not a person who does that or whatever it might be. There's different ways in which we, I don't know, experience self, express self to to ourselves and to others. So just to notice that, you know, concepts, ideas are often laid on top of experiences. And we need them, they're helpful, they're useful, but they're not the exact same thing as the experience. And wherever we can, to just note that the map is not the territory. 
And this teaching on the five aggregates, it's one way in which we can understand our experiences. It's a frame of reference. It's a point of view. It's one way. There's other ways in which we can do this. We don't have to always adopt this or the five aggregates or think that it's something that we have to, I don't know, force ourselves to believe. Instead, there's an invitation to explore, inquire, play with, experiment, learn, or not. If it doesn't feel like something that's helpful, then leave it aside. So it's nine o'clock. I'd like to respect your time. I'll stay up here if you have some questions or comments. Otherwise, I wish you plenty of pleasant experiences. Thank you.